Hi, everyone. Welcome to HIV and AIDS POV. HIV and AIDS Point of View is a new podcast following the lives of those living with and affected by HIV or AIDS. We also invite our friends and our partners, those who have been affected by HIV or AIDS, to also share their stories as well. Well, last time we got a chance to talk, the story ended with me going into a clinical trial. That happened at the age of 22. So at 22 years old, I had tested positive for HIV, living alone on the East Coast in the big city of Washington, D.C. And in that particular city at that time, 2002, their population of gay men had three times as many as the national average. So within that small little footprint of Washington, D.C., three times as many than across the nation. So I was living among people who were also fighting this illness, and thank goodness for all of the local organizations in town who reached out and made themselves available in places like DuPont Circle. So if you were in the neighborhood and you needed to get an HIV test, you could go to a mobile testing site. And I do have to applaud those people for working very hard, because that is where I got my last HIV test. Most of the time, I would go to the local Elizabeth Taylor Clinic, and get my HIV test. But this particular day, I was in DuPont Circle, and I remember I was going out that evening with a friend, and I thought, I, I definitely need to get my HIV test. It's been nine months. It's, it's three months overdue. That's three months too long. I went ahead and got my HIV test, and those were the results that came available in January 2002. So I wanted to mention the HIV drugs. That was a big deal at the time. Being that I was 22, had no insurance, three jobs, without any sort of benefits, how was I going to make sure that I didn't get sick? Good thing is the doctor that I was working with was a newer doctor who came from a different school of thought. At that time, in 2002, there were two different therapies that you could go on. A lot of the time, you may have believed that HIV immediately led to AIDS. Well, it turns out, depending on how you treated your body, would determine how quickly you would fall into that downward spiral. For some people, their immune systems can fight off the virus as long as possible without the need for medical prescription intervention. Some people, unfortunately, cannot. And these drugs have been designed to work with uh, what my friend says is the envelope of the virus on all different levels. And that's another episode that we'll get into very soon. But let's get back to the drugs. So at this time in 2002, two different schools of thought. One doctor is saying, hit it hard, hit it early, just right off. You get HIV, we got to put you on medication. The other doctor was saying, well, let's see what your immune system does first. And then we can go ahead and monitor once you get to a certain number with regard to your viral load, which I believe at that time was closer to 300,000 we can go ahead and put you on medication at that point. Great, this is perfect. My body's going to do what it is, but naturally, 22-year-old mind, I am beating it up because, of course, I am 22, living on my own. So I am drinking alcohol. I'm not exercising. I'm not eating well. And a period of about three to four months go by. This time, I go back to the doctor and I get some blood draws, and we notice that my numbers have changed. Once upon a time, my viral load had been at about 30,000. 
And now the viral load is over 145,000. So we're creeping up a little bit closer to 200,000. And again, 22-year-old mind had no idea how HIV works or necessarily what it does to the body. So in my mind, I think, wow, you get to a viral load that high, it continues to get higher. So we ended up having the conversation that we needed to. And the biggest question you'll have to ask yourself with regard to HIV drugs is if you are ready to start taking HIV drugs. It is a lifetime commitment, or at least until they become a problem and you need to have them adjusted. But HIV drugs are a lifetime commitment. You are basically saying every day for the rest of my life, without fail, I will take this medication. And generally, we're all set and pumped and ready to take the medication. That way we can go ahead and fight for our lives and our safety, make sure that we're healthy. The first round of drugs that HIV patients were able to take were very toxic. AZT, probably being one of the most known, was a very toxic medication. Fortunately for me, I had a great friend named David who was alive during the time of the early 80s AIDS pandemic, and he was part of a clinical trial, just like I was, and was testing out, I believe, the drug AZT. Of the 28 or close to 30 people that were in that clinical trial, I believe him and one other person were the only two that uh, made it out of that trial alive. And he was saying to me that there were just times that this medication just made him feel so sick that he just couldn't take it, and so he wouldn't. And he feels that particular reason is why he's still alive today. So here we are more than 20 years later, and he is still ticking, still taking his medication every day. And that really is the biggest question you'll have to ask yourself whenever you're ready to start your treatment is, can I take this medication every day? Good thing is your doctor has a lot more information now than they did when I tested positive in 2002. So now that I'm having this very important conversation with my doctor about starting medication, we always come back to the big factor here. Money, income, means, insurance benefits. How are these drugs going to be paid for? They are expensive. On average, with insurance, as of today, if someone had Bictarvi as one of the medications within their treatment plan, that particular medication before insurance is generally priced at about $3,500 a month. And after insurance, the copay would be 60 So that's just to give you an idea of how much these medications can be prior to insurance. So at the time, I'm not having any benefits with regard to medication or doctors. This particular doctor tells me about the clinical trial. <clears throat> He introduces me to another doctor, and the doctor goes on to tell me about the clinical trial. Essentially, what is happening now in 2002 is once upon a time when early drugs came out, you had to take a lot of pills, and it wasn't three, four. It was more like 10, 12, and this was multiple times a day, sometimes from different manufacturers. So it was a consistent plan of lots of pills daily, which some stomachs just unfortunately cannot take. 
the new way that the pharmaceutical companies were going was to try and combine these pills into a one or two a day pill. So that was the clinical trial that I was in. I was in a clinical trial testing a medication that was going from a two pill a day to a one pill a day, which on the surface sounds like a great idea. Currently would involve a new drug, which had just received FDA approval and was doing wonderful things. So this doctor is giving me the rundown. I'm not hearing a lot of negative or adverse side effects other than maybe headache, nausea, diarrhea, upset stomach, <clears throat> as this is one of the drugs that is currently on the market as we're speaking at that time in 2002. So I'm thinking this is probably going to be one of the better routes to go because I'm working with a drug company with a doctor out of the Elizabeth Taylor Clinic. I'm going to be taken care of over the next 24 months. This is what I need to, you know, make that step until I at least get back on my feet. So I say, let's go for it. <clears throat> and I remember, again, that first week of the clinical trials where they're constantly taking blood. So we eventually get past that first quarter. And now I'm just going to the doctor every three months. Everything seems to be going well. I'm honestly having no issues with the medication other than having very vivid dreams due to the sestiva. So we're talking and she's asking questions about the medication. I'm being as honest as I can, knowing that the information I'm giving her is going to be helpful as to whether or not this drug will pass FDA approval. And I know of other people who were also taking a similar combination that was working really well for them. Essentially, if you had HIV in the United States, they were trying to go away from AZT to a less toxic, safer version of HIV medication. And unfortunately, this medication did not gain FDA approval because of the dosage. Unfortunately, it was too potent at that particular strength caused a lot of issues with liver and kidney. So ultimately, that one particular medication did not gain FDA approval. And that's always sad because I'm not sure how many of you are aware of the classes of drugs that are out there, but essentially what happens when you start a medication, we'll say for example, Sestiva or Atripla. That, that's a better example right there, Atripla. It's a combination of three different drugs combined into one. And for the longest time, I was taking a tripla. So let's talk about a tripla. Let's say you take a tripla and all of a sudden it's no longer working for you. So you want to go ahead and get into a new drug. I would recommend studying that drug very well, just so that way you can know whether or not you are switching from one class of drugs to another. A lot of People who are currently patients and taking drugs may not know, let's say, for example, you have a lapse in your medication. You were doing great. You were taking your pills every night like you were supposed to. And for one week or a month, you just didn't take the medication. I would recommend reaching out to your doctor first because you may have become resistant to that drug class because of the lack of taking the medication for that month. Not saying it could that it did happen, but it could happen, which is why you'll want to reach out to your doctor. But generally, that's what happens when you start a medication and then stop. You'll end up burning a class of drugs, and generally, these classes of drugs will have about eight to ten different drugs within that class. 
I believe at the current time there are about seven different classes of drugs, and they've all come about probably over the last 30 years, and they continue to get better and safer. When I told my aunt that I was HIV positive, I didn't say it like that. I wanted to uh, let her know in a very roundabout way. She worked in the pharmacy, and she knew about all different medications. This was a career she had had for a long time. So I let her know that I was taking a drug called Epivir along with Zurich. And I remember she told me, babe, those are, those are AIDS medications. And, and that's how I told her that I was HIV positive, because I knew that she knew about these medications. So I thought this will probably be the easiest, most comfortable way that I can tell her that I'm positive without scaring her. <clears throat> Little did I know, these are called black box medications. Black box medications are basically the strictest warning the FDA can put on a medication. It's essentially a use at your own risk because these medications are toxic. It is potential that they could kill you. And at 22 years old, during the days of, those, of that clinical trial, I, I don't remember any talk about the medication being known as black box medication. And, and that's really where this podcast should end up. HIV drugs are great. They have saved a lot of lives, but it's also important to make sure that you're reading the information about your HIV drug. During those days, we didn't have a lot of information. So unfortunately, those of us who are what you call long-term survivors have gone through the process of being virtual human guinea pigs for these drugs. And there are plenty of people who have sadly lost their lives due to adverse side effects from some of the medication. And the medications continue to get better. But if you think about it, we're currently in a separate pandemic. COVID-19 is also a pandemic, also a virus with no cure. And while you see the news and hear about this vaccine or this miracle pill, there honestly may not be one. HIV is also a virus that has no cure. And they have spent over 30 years working towards a vaccine working towards a cure. Thankfully, Dr. Fauci and the National Institutes of Health have done a great job as far as finding out these medications that work and they continue to get safer and they continue to get better. However, that's here in the United States. I have a friend who lived in the Philippines and the story he shared with me is their country does not have the same access to HIV drugs as the United States. And I thought, well, that's crazy. I mean, these medications work, they're safer, they're better. But again, it comes back to that factor of income or money. Unfortunately, their local governments may not be able to afford these medications, so their citizens are not able to take advantage of these new medications. Sadly, that friend of mine who lived in the Philippines did pass away, and it was due to the lack of medication and medical attention. This was someone who lived in a country where they just did not have the advanced medical treatment or medical care that we do here in the United States. Not to say that we have an incredible healthcare system, but we do have access to some very toxic drugs. 
So I've currently been on a treatment of medication for the past 18 years. It has worked wonders. The big thing that I remember happening when I started medication was the way the viral load dropped within two to three weeks, if I'm not mistaken. At this time, prior to getting into the clinical trial, a lot of blood was taken to determine what they call my baseline would be. Where is my cholesterol, my triglycerides, all of those yummy numbers that they need to take a look at to see, okay, this is where we are, where are we going to end up? So I noticed during that lab that my viral load had dropped. And I thought that might have been something to do with a different lab or the number of blood samples. I don't know. In my mind, I was trying to rationalize that it was just a mistake. But it does happen. My body had naturally done what it needed to do to fight the virus, and my viral load had dropped to below 100,000, which is great. Now I believe the magic number is... Actually, I don't know what the magic number is before they put you on medication. That is a good question. So if anyone out there has recently been diagnosed and your doctor is talking to you about medication, what is the new magic number for the viral load? I'll go ahead and research and get an answer to that question for you for our next episode. But in case anyone hits me up before then, I'd love to know. So back to that pill. Did great. It brought my viral load down. I was noticing my CD4 count going up. At the time, I was feeling very healthy, active, athletic, 23-year-old by this point, and I'm feeling good. Everything seems to be working well with the drug. Although I notice as time continues to go by, I'm beginning to lose weight. And it's not something I'm sad about. I'm more than happy to shed a few pounds here and there. But I remember. At the end of that following year, by this time I'm probably in month 20 of this clinical trial, she saw me and she was like, oh my God, you've gotten so skinny. And in my mind, I'm thinking, yay, I'm skinny. But for her, she's seeing that I'm emaciated, you know, that that athletic build that I had had before had just kind of melted and now I was skinny. And I remember it came into conversation when I was looking at a camera taking a picture and it had snapped a photo by mistake when I wasn't looking and I wasn't smiling and I noticed the indentions in my face right under my cheeks. It was very gaunt. I like that look, but this was, this was a little too much. There's a little too much missing from that area of my face. I was happy that I had lost weight. I was happy that I was thin, but I was not happy that I just looked sickly. So I go back to my doctor. By now, we're going on to month 22 of the clinical trial. And my doctor is letting me know that, unfortunately, the numbers that are coming back are showing that a lot of us are having some problems with liver and kidney. Each one has a different story as to how it's affecting us. But the general consensus is that this is a drug that we probably should no longer take. And it's time to go out and find a doctor and get a new medication. And that's exactly what I did. The great thing is whenever you are HIV positive and sharing openly with your friends and your family, you'll be able to get a little bit of information and resources as to what you can do with regards to your health. Many people out there choose to go a holistic route, and there's a lot of information to support that going a holistic route definitely creates an environment for your immune system to be able to fight back and heal your body. 
Some others have to go down the route of traditional medication. So if you go down the route of traditional medication, the one thing I can say as a good piece of insight is just to research the medication. Make sure that you take a good look at those adverse side effects. Know what you're looking for and just be mindful of everything that is happening with your body. These HIV drugs are toxic. They call them black box medications for a reason. And that's why I wish the education on HIV and AIDS in the United States would change. When I was 22, having just tested positive, there were not resources available to help me, to educate me, to guide me. In fact, the other day I was part of a local living positive meeting or group here in town. And someone had asked me, you know, what, do, what do you think? And I thought, I don't have a frame of reference. I was never part of a group before this. So if you ask me, I love it. I think it's great. I wish that this had been there when I was 22 because I could have had a slightly older group of people helping me to understand what was going or what was going on with my body. So yes, right now, this is great. This is exactly what people need, the camaraderie to come together, share their story, and not feel so isolated or alone. The point of this podcast is to make sure that we reduce the stigma of HIV and AIDS. I was reading that at the time of 1990 to 1999, so a good uh, decade before we jump into the new millennium, they were testing an audience. These were telephone surveys that they did back in the 90s. So yes, people called you on your home phone and you picked up and spent probably about five or 10 minutes with some stranger on the other end asking you questions about how you felt about people living with AIDS. At the time and for this survey, they were known as PWA, people living with AIDS. And what they noticed starting in 1990 was generally 19 to 20% of the population felt that it was something that essentially those who were sinning deserved. So AIDS was essentially for the right group of people. We go ahead and fast forward a few years. Now that number has jumped forward to 22%. And we jump forward a few more years. And now that number has jumped up to, I believe, 24%. So as we get closer to the end of the 90s, we're noticing that there's a lot of hostility building up from people who are not HIV positive towards people who are HIV positive or living with AIDS. Thankfully, at this time, right at the end of the 90s, medications are coming out that are starting to save the lives of people who have been sick for a very long time. So this is essentially when we're turning the corner. For the longest time, HIV was looked at as a death sentence because there was no medical treatment that was going to help you live longer. But now it's considered managed care. There is a complete arsenal of medication out there. And if you're able to be responsible with your medication and make your health a priority, then these medications are going to work wonders for you. But that, that is the big thing right there. You have to make your health a priority. And I do recommend taking a look at the items you put in your body, the foods you eat, the things you drink. Your body is going to make wonderful decisions for you if you give it the environment to heal itself. So back to that group, that question was asked and I thought, I never had a frame of reference. I never had a group like that to become a part of. 
And I would recommend if you are newly diagnosed, if you are able to make that attempt to reach out to someone who may be positive or maybe part of an organization that can reach out and give you some information, the world is going to be a much better place because you'll see that you are not alone. You'd be surprised how many people will come running to your aid when you ask for help. And I've been there right now in 2020. This is the first time that I have felt comfortable to be open about living positive. I've always lived positive, but it was something that was skewed due to the way it was when I was getting information about being HIV positive. There was no positive reinforcement. It was essentially take your medication, visit your doctor, and hope for the best. They weren't even telling you that great things were going to happen. We literally were just hoping for the best. So now that I've come to this point where I've lived and I'm not sure if I'm a long-term survivor yet, I think that happens at year 20, but where I've lived and I'm able to share my experiences with you so that way you won't feel the way I did. Because for the longest time here in the United States, especially during the 2000s, as those medications were coming forward and people were no longer getting sick, things were changing and the views of HIV were changing. Very similar to that study where there was a lot of hostility towards people living with AIDS. Now that we were no longer dying of AIDS, we had to live healthy, essentially live positive. And that really is what we're all doing right now, living positive. And I was fighting those preconceived notions. At the time, we were felt to believe that we just needed to relegate ourselves to the corners of society, that if you were interested in coming out as positive, be careful because obviously there were still people who were not going to look at you kindly. But that wasn't the case at all. It turns out that there was a complete different group of people who wanted to encourage you and wanted you to live your life happy, healthy, safely. And I encourage that everywhere all across the globe. If you are one voice who can help someone else by reducing the stigma associated with HIV and AIDS, please do so. Even within the community of HIV and AIDS, there is discrimination. I'm not sure how many of you know the difference between HIV and AIDS, but it does come down to the number of CD4 or T cell within your, within your body. So if you fall below 200, that would be the definition of AIDS. Now, it has changed recently. So now it's below 200 with an opportunistic infection. But before, below 200s was falling into the category and definition of AIDS. And I've known people who have had 14 T-cells, maybe 27. And to look at them, you would think nothing was wrong other than they were very thin. But they seemed healthy. They looked healthy, and, and that was the drawback right there. For those who looked and appeared to be healthy, it seemed that they didn't really need help. But ultimately, their body was fighting the battle to try and keep them healthy and try and keep them alive. That friend of mine was one who did not take his medication on a regular basis. And he was the first person I knew who was living with AIDS. A great person. And honestly, a mentor that helped me understand where I was with regard to how I was feeling with my new diagnosis. And, and sadly, he did pass away. 
I always make the joke that he'll be happy he passed away at 39 because he never turned 40 and he will be 39 eternally. But he was a wonderful person and I'm blessed that I have known him and that he has become a part of my history. Respect to those who had come before us because those were also the ones who were fighting the good fight. Sadly, my friend didn't live in a different time where medication could have helped him, but I can assure you, he was definitely out there trying to make changes, and that's where a lot of my political aspirations came from. That first group of guys who I knew as an adult really became the mentors for me, and thank goodness that they did not have. We talked about a lot today, and I invite you to reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter at HIVAIDSPOV or on Instagram at HIVAIDSPOV. Feel free to drop me a line if you have any questions or you need any information, insight, advice. I'm happy to help. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the podcast, don't forget to tell your friends that the podcast is available for free on any app that supports podcast. Thank you again.